You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. confess our need for you, God, that we'd believe what we just sang, that every breath in our lungs, every beat of our hearts is a reminder of our dependence on you. So would you encourage us as we open your word, would you cause our hearts to continue in this this posture of worship? We need you, O God. Speak to us this morning, we pray, through your word, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> Good morning. If you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, that's where we'll be today, Luke 13. <clears throat> if you need a Bible to follow along, feel free to let some of our strike team volunteers know as they come around. Uh, they'd be happy to put a Bible in your hands. Um, as well, there are some uh, sheets for taking notes, kind of geared towards uh, upper elementary kids. I think they're actually out at the, on the shelf as people come in, but if you'd like one of those, um, you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, Luke 13, um, and as you're finding Luke 13, let me ask you a question to get us started. <clears throat> think about something maybe you've been hoping for. And then think about how slow it took to finally arrive. Now, I'm not talking about two-day shipping with Amazon Prime. I'm talking something more like a a goal you had. Maybe to run a 10K or to lose some weight or to learn that language that you've been thinking would be really cool to learn. Or maybe to pay off some debt or save for that vacation. And the first day that you decide to go for a jog or decide to do those 100 sit-ups, today is going to be the day I start that. Right, the first lesson using the online language course, the first transfer of $25 that could have gone towards coffee this week, but is instead going to the savings account, doesn't really seem like very much, does it? I mean, what did you really accomplish after just one day? Honestly, it doesn't feel like much. I ask my kids almost every day what they learned that day during their schooling. And sometimes they have a bit of history for me, or they're excited because they started doing multiplication. But if I were to ask any of you in the room, ages seven and up, tell me something you learned this week, I'd probably get a lot of I don't knows from you, right? Now, it's not that you haven't learned anything, but because of so much of what we learn is small and sequential, Right? Each day by itself doesn't seem that significant, but six months of study and reading, six months of maybe lifting weights and jogging every day, maybe eating a little less pizza, right? Six months of practice, six months of regular savings, and then you can look back and say, okay, now I see progress. Now I see something happening. And so if you want to improve some area of your life, there are thousands of resources and coaches and systems available to help you be more intentional about any one of those things that I mentioned. And do you know why I think they exist? 
because they are tapping into a common and shared human weakness. We have a tough time with small and slow. It's far easier for us to get excited and to get emotionally invested in big and fast. I mean, all the, infomer- all the infomercials on TV tell us this, right? Lose weight fast, get rich quick. But small and slow is, I think, a, a general human challenge. And not just when it comes to personal disciplines, but our spiritual lives as well, right? We tend to gravitate toward big and fast rather than small and slow. And and the purpose of all these coaches and resources for our personal development and all these other areas of our lives, helping us with our physical health or financial planning, all great things. What are they trying to do? They're trying to reorient our thinking around small slow steps for long-term growth. And in much the same way, we need our spiritual lives to be reoriented around this idea of small, slow growth, which I think we'll see in our text today. It's the way of kingdom growth. The kingdom of God grows slowly and steadily. And so in much the same way that we don't get very excited or invested after the, first, the very first jog, we don't get real excited or invested in those first few steps of spiritual growth in our lives either. Often we feel as if God should be working more quickly than this. Or maybe He should, you know, He's got the power available, why doesn't He just display it more here at the beginning in a given situation? We feel that God is working too slowly or the steps that He's putting in front of us are too small. But here in Luke 13, Jesus shows us and reminds us that the kingdom of God is expanding to fulfill all of God's purposes for His glory and for our good. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is expanding to fulfill all of God's purposes for His glory and for our good. So let's read our text today, Luke 13. We're going to read verses 10 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Now he, it's Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Verse 18, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? 
It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made its nests, made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is God's holy word for us today. <clears throat> we often feel that God is working too slowly or the steps He's put in front of us are too small. But as I said, our big idea is that the kingdom of God is expanding to fulfill all of God's purposes for His glory and for our good. And this is how we'll break down our text today. Kind of two main points. Jesus ushers in a kingdom of compassion and a kingdom of purpose. A kingdom of compassion and a kingdom of purpose. First, our text opens with Jesus teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now, two things from this that stand out to me. One... We're not told which synagogue this was. We don't know exactly where Jesus was at the time. But it's likely that this was the last time he had a chance to teach publicly in a synagogue before his crucifixion. Just looking at the order of events, the timing of events. Second, we're told it was the Sabbath, which might seem obvious, right? Where do preachers preach? In church. (laughs) So where would he go to teach? The synagogue. When? On the Sabbath. But it's important to make clear that this is the Sabbath. And Luke does this, I think, intentionally. Because the Sabbath, according to the law of Moses, is a day of rest. And at that time, there were fairly restrictive rules about what could and could not be done on the Sabbath in terms of work. Certain things were allowed for worship But outside of that, the list, and they varied, were very different as to what constituted work, what was off limits to actually do. Verse 11, and behold, Luke says, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now this woman suffered for 18 years under some kind of spiritual or demonic oppression. Luke makes sure to remind us that this disability was caused by something spiritual. And we don't know anything else about this woman. Did she know that her suffering was was connected to something spiritual? How often had she asked for prayers for healing? How many doctors do you suppose she would have seen in 18 years to find a solution to her difficulty? She was bent over, hunched over, not able to fully stand up straight. Verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are free from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Here's part of what I mean when I say that Jesus ushers in a kingdom of compassion. Jesus initiated the interaction with this woman. She was just somewhere in the room. We don't know if this was her home church or if she sought out Jesus knowing he was going to be there. We have no idea. What we do know is she was present in the congregation and Jesus initiates a woman who culturally would already have been less than honored in society, now probably wore 
a double weight to also have a disability. And Jesus initiates. Jesus invites her over. Jesus speaks a word of healing without waiting, without asking. Jesus reaches out to her with his own hands and touches her so that she might be healed. Jesus is doing what he said he would do. That he would come to proclaim freedom to the captives. In this case, a woman who was held captive for 18 years to the whims of a demonic presence that was disabling her. And Luke says she immediately stood upright and glorified God. Now you might say, well, Jake, that woman was immediately healed by Jesus, but I've been struggling with my own ailment for a long time. And to you... Let me say, sometimes God heals in the moment. Sometimes He heals after 18 minutes of prayer, and sometimes after 18 years of prayer, and sometimes in glory. And in every instant, or excuse me, every instance, the aim is for both your good, it was the, for the good of this woman that Jesus healed her on the spot, and She glorified God. Let's continue. Verse 14. The ruler of the synagogue, the one responsible for the spiritual well-being of the people who worship there, he likely is the one who invited Jesus to teach that day. So he can only blame himself for what happens, right? He's the the one who's, who's in charge of making sure the synagogue functions. He doesn't talk to Jesus But he tells the people, he says this, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Now, this leader of the synagogue, I find this fascinating. He might hold to a a very strict view of the Sabbath, maybe more strict than others, because there was some variation as to what it was actually considered work. I mean, surely plowing the field was work that was off-limits. But what about putting dishes in the sink? Like, what if I don't wash them, I just put them there? Does that count? Walking to the synagogue, obviously, uh, was okay. But walking to visit a friend, maybe a day's hike away, I'd probably have to wait a day and then go the next day. Right? But Jesus healing this woman was apparently too much. Cross some kind of a line. And while Jesus is the one who initiated the conversation, Jesus is the one who invited the woman over to him, Jesus is the one who didn't ask her what she needed, he reached out his hand and lovingly and compassionately placed it on her that she might be healed. The leader of the synagogue blames the woman for coming to see Jesus on the Sabbath when she could have just come any other day and then tells the people this isn't how it should be done which is interesting. I wonder if maybe the leader of the synagogue was a Midwesterner. Not fully addressing the problem, but just skirting it. I'm going to talk about the problem rather than addressing the problem. Maybe he was intimidated by Jesus. I don't know. But Jesus responds to him. No matter what, Jesus responds in verse 15. He doesn't let it go. The Lord answered him, verse 15. And I like how Luke uses this title for Jesus here. We haven't, we've seen a lot of he and him and Jesus in Luke's writing so far. 
in the last couple of chapters. And here Luke gets very specific and says, the Lord, speaking of his authority and his rule, the Lord answered the leader of the synagogue, you hypocrites. Again, this is a, this is a feeling of kind of righteous anger. It's borderline yelling, if I'm honest. How dare you? is almost how it sounds coming out of Jesus' mouth. Because then Jesus gives them a rhetorical question. Each of you would go and untie one of your animals from their stall and walk them over to the water to drink, right, on the Sabbath. Like when you get home today from synagogue, you're going to go untie your donkey and walk him over to the well and then walk him back. You'll do that, right? And yet, Isn't it true? Shouldn't a daughter of Abraham, essentially saying, a woman who is a co-heir with you to all the promises, the covenant promises of God, isn't she worth more than the donkey? She's been bound up by Satan for 18 years. Should she not be loosed from the ropes and be given refreshment as well? Is this woman not more important See, these teachers of the law were so bound up in keeping every line and letter of the law, like we read in Luke 11, that they neglected the more important matters of the law, like justice and the love of God. And like you and I, we might not relate in the same way to these teachers of the law in in specifically how they understood the Sabbath. Like we read this and we're like, yeah, that seems to make sense. Jesus is the one making sense here. You and I probably have other things that become so important to us that it actually causes us to miss God at work among us. Maybe a particular area of ministry, maybe a personal conviction, maybe some preference that we have, something that might prevent us from being moved with compassion to those in need, particularly those here in the family. And in these cases, we too might need the help of the Holy Spirit to reorder our priorities. Jesus calls them out for their lack of compassion. Luke tells us they're put to shame. He calls them out on their hypocrisy, that they'd care more for a donkey than they would for their own sister. And they're put to shame. But all the people, Luke says, rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by Jesus. This is what I mean when I say Jesus ushers in a kingdom of compassion. That's our first point. Second, Jesus ushers in a kingdom of purpose. After this interaction with the leader of the synagogue, with this woman, with the people who were listening, verse 18, he said, therefore, this is Jesus speaking, what is the kingdom of God like? Essentially, he's asking a rhetorical question. What did you think the kingdom of God was going to look like? Didn't you think it was going to look like this? That people were going to be freed and healed and made new? And he says, to what shall I compare it? How can I explain to you what the kingdom of God is like in a way that you might understand? And then, patient Jesus gives two illustrations of the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, and the kingdom of God is like leaven. Or as we like to call it, Yeast for bread, which is delicious, right? First, the mustard seed. 
Mustard as a plant is interesting. I've learned a lot about mustard this week. There are a handful of varieties of mustard. Each one's a little different, but many of the same characteristics apply to all varieties. Inside their seed pods, no matter what shape they take, they're filled with these tiny, tiny seeds. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. Like one little tiny grain of seed that a man took and planted in his garden. And while mustard plants don't grow like an oak tree, they can grow pretty large and fairly quickly. So much so, Jesus says that birds can nest in the canopy that's created. I found a picture this week of a, some wild mustard growing in the Middle East with a person standing next to it for scale. Each seed has the potential to grow into a lush and fruitful tree. It's at least a really large shrub, right? <laughs> Jesus also says the kingdom of God is like leaven. Now we keep yeast for bread in a jar in our refrigerator, and they look like tiny seeds, smaller than a sprinkle. Uh, my wife took a picture of some that we had in our kitchen. Right? And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman takes and hides in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The picture here is that even just a small amount of yeast will spread and do its thing and let all the dough rise. This is what it does. Now, in other places, we've already read, Jesus has referred to the leaven of the Pharisees, yeast and leaven, as a bad thing, as a negative. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Why? Because once you put yeast in the dough, you can't really unyeast the dough. It's happening. In this case, Jesus is using it in a positive light. That something so small will carry out its intended purpose. For bread to rise, it will need some kind of leavening agent, and once it's added, it'll do what it's intended to do. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. It might seem small or insignificant, but it has intentional and directional purpose. That's why I use the word purpose, a kingdom of purpose, a mustard seed. As small as it is, that tiny little seed is hardwired to grow into a mustard plant and then a shrub and then lots of, call it a tree, right? The DNA in that tiny little seed won't let it become anything other than mustard. God has so masterfully designed this tiny seed that given the right conditions and God's common grace of water and sunlight, it will always become a mustard plant. And given enough time, a large shrub or a tree producing more mustard seeds and on and on and on. It's just what it does. And leavening agents like yeast for bread will, given the right conditions, cause a mixture of flour, probably a little salt, some milk, maybe a little sugar. It'll cause that dough to expand, creating a raised dough to be baked into bread. Because why? That's what it does. Each of these things, a little yeast, a few grains of mustard seed, are easily overlooked or ignored because they don't seem like much. 
yet they are remarkably useful and serve a very particular purpose in their design. Such is the kingdom of God, Jesus says. So that's one reason why I use the phrase kingdom of purpose. But there's another reason as well. Not only, when you think about the mustard seed, for example, in the picture that I showed earlier, not only is the mustard planted in the garden, presumably to produce more mustard seeds, right? And mustard, which I'm not a huge fan of, by the way, yellow, brown, I don't like any of it. But you take the seeds, you grind them down, it's a spice, you mix it together with some other ingredients, you those of you who do, do enjoy mustard, like add it with ketchup, hot, hot dog, ballpark in the summer, baseball season is here, can I get an amen? Um, right? It's planted in the garden for that purpose. It's useful. The person who planted it can harvest it and make something of it. But note what Jesus says. It also creates a canopy for the birds. It grows in such a way that it might serve as a place of refuge for even the birds of the air. Hold on to that. That's not a throwaway line for Jesus. The leaven hid in three measures of flour. Three measures of flour is not three cups of flour. Three measures of flour is equivalent to over a bushel of flour, approximately 1.125 bushels of flour, which is actually equivalent to about 167 and a half cups of flour. We're not talking about bread for one family. Here, a simple loaf of bread. I found a recipe this week that I think I want to try to make. It's about three cups of flour for this nice little round loaf. You stick in your cast iron, throw it in the oven. Beautiful. Everyone's going to go home now and want to eat bread. Right? If any of you are gluten intolerant, kind of say I'm sorry because I feel your pain. Right? That's, a lo- that's one loaf of bread, three cups. 167 cups is between 50 and 60 loaves of bread. So not only are we talking about leaven and flour to make bread for a family, there's enough here to make bread for the entire village. I don't think it's a throwaway line that Jesus talks about the mustard growing into enough of a canopy to make a home for the birds of the air and enough flour and bread to essentially feed an entire town. This is what it has to do with the kingdom. Because right now in the gospel accounts, we're following the life of Jesus, the seeds of the kingdom are being planted. And within 40 years of Jesus giving this illustration about Uh, leaven, and about mustard seeds. Within 40 years, the gospel of Jesus and the kingdom will have spread to every major city in the Roman Empire. Within 40 years, the kingdom seeds are here being planted and soon will grow. Mike McKinley, who's written a small commentary on the book of Luke, um, says this, In the book of Acts, we see a small band of disciples grow to the point where people from every nation on earth are able to perch in its branches. The message about Jesus spreads slowly but inexorably until it has reached every part of the map, leavening the entire lump of the world. And as we read through the book of Acts, we see that happening. 
The gospel transcends cultural and economic barriers. Class. And it spreads. It does what it intended to do. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of compassion and a kingdom of purpose. So for us, getting back to some of our challenge from the beginning, we too struggle with things that seem small and slow. And there are so many things for us, uh, those of us who are followers of Jesus, that just seem ordinary and unspectacular. And yet Jesus calls us to them at least part of the way that the kingdom of God expands in our lives, right? Simple and small things. The, The small but important discipline of setting aside some of our first fruits to give to the work of the kingdom. Daily time spent reading and meditating on God's word. What does he desire to teach us about himself? He's revealed himself to us. How can we know Him? The beautifully difficult and often humbling of ourselves that happens when we dedicate time to one another. When we share a meal and we share our burdens in community. And the regular and simple communication with God in prayer. This is the day in and day out boring ordinary, unspectacular things that might for us be an opportunity to consider these illustrations that Jesus is giving us about mustard seeds and yeast. That God is at work in ways that often seem unimpressive at the beginning. I mean, Jesus himself was born into abject poverty, He lived as the son of a carpenter. He chose 12 normal, unspectacular men to be his disciples and spent the majority of his time on earth hanging out with outcasts and untouchables, and yet he was ushering in a kingdom full of compassion and purpose that was going to change the course of human history. We might even look at the healing of this woman in the passage, and while we might celebrate Man, God is showing his kindness here again to heal this woman. We might be tempted to ask, in the whole realm of human suffering, what is the significance of the healing of this one woman in her off-chance encounter with Jesus? If for nothing else, if for no other reason, we read it in the text itself, she glorified God. The apex, the goal of the kingdom of God is the glory of God. The kingdom of compassion and purpose is also a kingdom of glory. The prophet Habakkuk said this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You want to know how the waters cover the sea? All of it. All of it. So he heals this woman for her good and so that she might glorify God. One woman, one life of worship, One testimony about the grace of God for the rest of her life. It seems to be the way of God to begin great things in small and seemingly insignificant ways. And often these tend to push against our preconceived expectations. To quote uh, Mike McKinley again, um, he said this, that this should be an encouragement to us. 
when it does not seem that God is at work in the world around us. We have to remember God works in his own ways and in his own timing. So what are all the ways where the kingdom of God is at work and advancing among us, even here in our church family, in our own homes, in our own personal spiritual lives? Ways that we might be missing the small and slow and seemingly insignificant, but actually very purposeful areas of growth. This is why growing and multiplying community groups takes time, and it's hard work. This is why multiplying leaders takes time, and multiplying churches takes time, and you can't rush this. So I sharing the gospel with people among whom God has placed us, purposefully, by the way, where he's placed us, it's not a quick project. We must have a long view in mind that the seed might not immediately take sprout above the surface, but that does not mean that there's not roots growing underneath. And our passage today in Luke reminds us that even though we tend to gravitate toward big and fast, Jesus, our patient king, is content to usher in a compassionate and purposeful kingdom of God that often moves more slowly and in smaller steps than we'd like, but is expanding to fulfill all of God's purposes for His glory and for our good. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess our view of you is often too small. We think it big, but we actually miss what you're up to. We just, I confess, so often a limited view. And yet you have promised over and over again in your word, that you are always fulfilling and accomplishing all of your purposes, that none of them fail, that all of them will come to pass. So we ask that you would give us eyes to see and hearts that believe and minds that comprehend what you're up to. That you might give us a glimpse of the grace that you extend Father, even as we come to the table this morning, that in the simple elements of bread and a cup, say profound things about who you are and who we are in you. Oh God, would you use even these simple elements to do amazing and deep work in our hearts this morning. that we might worship you more fully, that we might surrender to you with more humility and abandon. And that you'd see fit to work in us and through us for your glory and for our good. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.